This is The Widow Podcast and I am Karen Sutton, The Widow Coach. I'll be supporting you through the loss of your life partner so you can find a more positive way through your grief. I want to give you hope after loss and to know that when you are ready, you can create a meaningful life for yourself with the help of me, Karen Sutton and The Widow Podcast. And welcome back. This week, I have got the lovely Emma Gray joining us. Rainbow hunting is Emma's new vocation, would you call it? What would you call it in in life? Um, Where she helps people sort out the sadmin. So the admin that comes with death, either preparing for your own death, or sorting out the the admin from a loved one's death. Emma used to be a wills and probate solicitor. She is now training to be a counsellor, nearly there, nearly at the end, um, and is a grief and life coach. Now, Emma is absolutely amazing. She has come onto the podcast before, actually, haven't you, Emma? And, and we've had a chat Um so you can check out her her full story in a previous episode. Um, but Emma has also come into my membership and done an amazing session for us on our own sadmin, which was absolutely brilliant. And we will come to that. I think we're going to do like a part one and a part two to, to this podcast. Um, in part two, we will talk about our own sadmin maybe in our own sort of preparation for for our death with our wills but in this episode we're going to be talking about the the admin around a loved one's death a life partner's death so emma welcome thank you so much for being here bless you Oh, thank you for inviting me back. It is a total joy. Thank you. Oh, I just love it. I love talking to you. I just think, you know, what you are doing is so important and so needed. And and every time I speak to somebody that's, you know, either listened to our podcast or you've been in my group or they've worked with you individually, they just love what you're doing because it's just so daunting and so scary. And I think the fact that you are a widow yourself, that you used to be a, a wills and probate solicitor you know you have so much knowledge and so much understanding around this area that most of us are severely lacking in aren't we 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 it's it's an unknown world yeah you don't know what you don't know do you but um I do feel like I'm a bit of a death and dying expert <laughs> I think that's a good thing I I'm all for being a, a death and dying expert I I personally love talking about these things <laughs> Um, more like tricky conversations hey that's it that's it so okay let's let's kind of start at the beginning I know the two areas of sadmin kind of they do weave into each other a little bit and they interlink and and of course it it will come into conversation here but we will go into the the will side of things more in in another conversation when you first lose a loved one a life partner and you have to start thinking about everything that needs doing i guess the first question is is there a way of making it easier and how should we be prioritizing what we do is there like an order to what should be done and when it should be done the really annoying thing is is no there isn't really <laughs> wow. It kind of is, but there isn't. So there are some time scales that are really important. So like for probate, if you're going to have inheritance tax due, you're going to have time scales that you're going to have to work towards. And, you know, ideally, you really want the probate kind of done and dusted in six months, if you can manage. I totally managed to do my husband's. It's fascinating, though, because I thought, oh, wills and probate solicitor, I'm going to find this fine. I even turned around to work and said, kind of, see ya, I'll be back two weeks after he's died, kind of thing. And um, and I took months off. I had no idea how much it would hit me. Uh, you know, my husband, for those who haven't listened to the thing, had cancer, like, your Simon, my Simon, um, uh, too many Simons. Um, uh, And so it wasn't a surprise, but it was just the most monumental shock. And then you are faced, as you said, with all this post-death 
admin, which is what I call one type of the sadmin. And um, and then your sadmin is what you then realise is totally out of date that you need to sort out for you. But we'll park that. Um, and so, I mean, the most important thing really is to check and see if there's a will. Because besides something else, the will might say whether someone wants to be buried or cremated. And if they've done that in a legal document and you don't do it, then, you know, not ideal. Um, So the first thing is to check and see if there's a will. And the will will also say who the executors are. So they will be the people who take centre stage on doing the administration of all the legal stuff that needs to be done on a death. Now, that is quite often the life partner which is fine. Um, It's often the life partner with someone. And when you say, you know, is there an order? Is there a way to make it easier? I think when it's the life partner with someone, that actually does make it easier because the someone can actually kind of keep you on track because, I mean, me doing my own husband's thinking I'm a Wilson probate solicitor, I'm going to be able to do this done and dusted, no problem. I had to actually say to my dad, please, can you make me accountable? By this date, I want to have done this. And by that date, I want to have done that. Because doing it on my own, I just felt so overwhelmed, even though it was my day job, which is just crazy. Um, And I totally underestimated how you have to phone up and time after time after time tell people the story in order to get the basic information that you need from them to be able to fill in the forms and all the rest of it. And I found that just so draining. So a way to make it easier, I think, is to find people who've got skill sets that match some of the jobs that need to be done. So if you've got someone who's brilliant financially and legally paperworky, they might be amazing at just going, right, can you phone these people and get the information that I need? And it saves you those phone calls and having to go through it again. And I felt so sorry for the people on the other end of the phone, because if they smothered me with kindness, I was furious because I felt like I was being wrapped in cotton wool. But if they were at absolutely black and white oh he's died then I was fuming because they were so insensitive it was like they couldn't win (laughs) you know um and you just can't gauge how you're going to feel phoning up and doing all of that so I definitely think find the will and work out what you need to do the will is about getting a snapshot the day someone dies, all the assets and all the debts. So you can fill in a form to say what the net amount of the person who died of everything that they owned. And I would kind of make that. But when I was a lawyer, when people used to phone me up, I did actually used to say to them, you know, we have got six months, so you don't need to be doing the will in the first two weeks. (laughs) You know, the priority, first of all, is the funeral and actually park all that admin and just do what you need to do to survive the funeral, the wake, the service, the whatever you're going to do, burial, cremation, whatever it is, because that bit is really the first part. Um, but the reason the will is important in that is sometimes it tells you people's wishes. They want, you know, I had some amazing ones, people wanting to be buried in wicker coffins under trees, you know, all sorts of amazing, wonderful things. But if they've gone to the length of writing that down, you want to find the paperwork that's got that information. And some people almost, I mean, hand up, I've done it, but I am a little bit crazy, but write their own um, funeral service. Yeah. <laughs> totally, I've done it. Anyway, um, uh, partly because it upset me so much having to organise it for Simon when he died. But I And I think the funeral is almost a clever thing, the service, whatever whatever religion people are and how they, how they uh, memorialise someone when they've died. But it is kind of clever because it gives you something to put your energies into that's emotional, that kind of can get you through those first couple of weeks. And so I think funeral first, but just check in with the legal documents and then do the legal documents. And then there's the other stuff, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but like the memberships and their clothes and their their car and, you know, so much stuff that the lawyers just don't care about and nobody helps you with but that other stuff I think is the mountain that people suddenly wake up 18 months two years down the line and go oh my god I haven't dealt with so much stuff it gives me goosebumps kind of talking about it but yeah that's really that's really interesting actually and I I totally 
sort of resonate with your point about the funeral because I think one of the worst days for me when I reflect back after Simon died was the day after his funeral because you have got a huge focal point haven't you from the minute they die that there's stuff that needs doing there's so much that needs to be organized and it and it and it, it is it's 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 a purpose almost and we're we're, we're craving that purpose and we're given that and it's still about them yeah so there's a connection and then after they've had their funeral and you've done the cremation or the burial or, or whatever it is it i remember sitting at my dining room table and just falling apart in that now what you, you know it's huge um what what if you don't know where the will is? I mean, th this must come up because how many people out there have got wills and they haven't maybe checked in on them for a long time? Nobody knows where they are. You've forgotten. Wh what do you do? Yeah, well, if there's no will, there is no will. And sometimes there is a will, but someone hasn't put the funeral wishes in. And, and it was something that I had. Um, I mean, I... I find it really hard to talk about the ways people die because I don't think there's any nice way to die. There's no good way to go. Sometimes I think, God, if he'd gone suddenly, then this would have it felt like this and I would have been saved from all the pain and misery of slowly watching him get worse. But then the gift of him being ill for so long is we did have, especially me being a Wilson probate solicitor, we had quite a lot of conversations and just knowing he wanted to be buried and not cremated was massive. And actually I volunteer for Cruise, the bereavement support charity. And I've had a client whose grief was complicated by the fact that she had, let me get this right, she had had him buried but that she'd wished she'd had him cremated and he had not written anywhere which he wanted. And it still gives me goosebumps, but she was having massive problems getting her head around what his body must be doing in the ground because really she wanted to get him cremated. She never wanted him in the ground, but she did it because she thought it was the right thing to do. And he'd never written it. He'd never expressed preference to anyone and and the, her grief was so complicated as a consequence of having made this decision and then subsequently decided it was the wrong decision. That would be awful to live with, awful to live with. And I think, obviously, you know, this is veering into the other conversation, which we'll go into, but it's just why it's so important, isn't it? It's so important to have these things in place because it just, it makes it so much easier for the people left behind. It is unbelievable the impact being prepared for these things has on, on those that are, are left behind. So, okay, so we don't need to necessarily get straight into all the sadmin before the funeral and 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 start notifying. Obviously, you have to register the death, don't so, you? It's it's so bizarre. So you have to register the death in order to get the certificate to be able to give to the funeral director. So yes, register the death is like number one. Go and register the death, and and I found that massive, like like massive as a professional I'd actually very sadly registered the death of people before who'd had no next of kin and I'd gone and done it and it had been a bit sad but it had been a bit of a paperwork procedure and you know because I'm a bit empathetic I'd felt quite emotional myself but it wasn't anything that I lost sleep over so I kind of thought that it would be the same but it was the first time I saw the word widow written in black and white and I had a mini meltdown I was just like oh my god that's me now I'm a widow. That's my label. Like, I don't, I preferred carer and wife. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that was massive to me. But yeah, the first thing is you get the paperwork from a hospital or hospice or whatever it is, and you go along and you register the death. And that is absolutely number one. And then you have to, and you have to do that quite quickly. Um, and so that you can have the funeral and people generally, you know, traditionally, I think they used to like having the funeral in two weeks or something like that. I vaguely remember something like that because my mum was horrified because I waited quite a while, but I wanted the dates to fit with the children a bit better. So that's why I waited a little bit longer. And my mother was quite horrified by that because apparently that's not what one does traditionally. Um, but um, but yeah, so but what I what people often I used to find as a solicitor would do within that two week period is they would sometimes phone just to check in. So they would phone to check in 
check where the will was, get a photocopy of it, um, maybe have their hand held a little bit on the registering of the death, because I, I used to often tell clients like what documents to take, but the um, um, births, deaths and whatever register are brilliant um, and they are very good at telling you exactly mm -hmm. what documents you need to take in order to register a death. Um, so, um, um, so they'll always tell you that. Um, but, um, but yeah, so some people used to have a little bit of handholding with the registering of the death. Um, mm. and then we used to like, they seem, we love security, don't we? We love certainty. So often we used to put a date in the diary for just after the funeral for them to come in and have that first meeting with me as a solicitor. And that first meeting as a solicitor after the funeral, I guess, was a, shift in your roles so instead of creating this amazing legacy moment um I don't know with the kids it was you know the service was to remember daddy and the party was to celebrate his life and that's kind of how we explained the service and the wake but I guess everyone's different aren't they um and then um and then afterwards when you hit that low um which I think is just so common you know just hit with a sledgehammer of just like wow you know all those people all that I, I guess you're having a bit of a sensory overload when I come to think about it because you know the there is just like so much going on isn't there yeah. um, and um and and yeah then thinking about what the next steps are with the will and that's where they come in to see a lawyer and that's where I used to send them quite a detailed list of these are all the things I'd like you to bring when you come in because I remember um here in the UK I don't know if it's the same excuse me anywhere else that when you register the death, there's an option for a, a one one stop. What's it called? Tell us once. Tell us once, and you can register for that. And they, who do they? What is that? I can't remember. It's six and a half years ago. Like what? That 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 tells quite a few people for you, doesn't it? So what Tell Us Once does is that tells all the government kind of agencies. So anyone slightly linked in with government agencies should be informed through that. Um, and if you take your driving license in, they'll sort that out, I think, as well. I vaguely remember. Um, but that tells a lot of kind of the standard, you know, sort of if anyone's got any benefits or, you know, all that sort of stuff that comes from the government. That's what Tell Us Once does. Um, but um, but there is still so much that hasn't been done. So when they used to come to us, often they'd have the Tell Us Once form and they hadn't actually filled it out. So I'd help people fill that out out um then they'd bring the death certificates um i'd have the original will um, and then it's a matter of trying to help them piece together this picture of all the assets and debts that someone had when they died so it would be details of the property so that we can then get the property registered title and work out how the property is owned is it owned jointly is it owned singularly how's that going to pass and um, all the bank accounts so all the bank account numbers and the details and what have you all the investments um then um um pensions um life policies life policies are a bit pensions and life policies were always a bit quirky are they paying into the estate counting as part for inheritance tax or are they not so that was always something we used to help people out with um and then debts so credit cards mortgage um all all the debts that people have um and values of ass assets also include personal possessions so do they have a car um can you put a value on the assets in the house are there any that are specifically going to be worth a lot more are there any personal possessions that are specifically mentioned in the will because if they're specifically mentioned in the will you're probably going to have to account to how much they're worth um but lawyers will hold your hand through all of that um but um and if you get a lawyer to do it you don't have to phone all those people and do all those um phone calls but some people especially when it's a life partner and everything goes to the life partner they sometimes decide not to go to a lawyer and to do it themselves because a lot of joint accounts go automatically to the survivor um by something called um survivorship um and um 
And then you don't necessarily need much more than a death certificate for the bank to be able to transfer that over. But as a lawyer, I had some issues with that because I had some clients come in who had complicated estates. They'd gone in to show the death certificate to try and get the date of death valuation themselves. And actually, the bank had gone, oh, you're the joint owner, we'll just transfer it over to you. But not all the estate was going to that joint owner. And then you're thinking, oh, my good grief. So do we have to take this into account? How are we going to account for this? How's this going to work? And all the rest of it. But things that are held jointly will pass automatically to the joint owner. That's the way it works. Okay. And then, obviously, if, if anything's being given to anyone else that's taken from the estate when it's all together. Yeah, so there's a bit of an order and lawyers will talk you through it. So specific, so debts have to be paid first. So sadly, some estates are sometimes insolvent. So, you know, there, there isn't enough money, but debts die with a person. So if that's the case, you've just got to wind it all up and, you know, pay what you can pay. And you, there is a way of trying to work out how you pay debts if there's more than one debtor to to try and and do it properly um but hopefully not many estates do end up like that most but, have money. but do all debts die with like so if you are a surviving partner and your your husband or wife has debt in their name what's the responsibility in terms of paying that off so if it's in their name if they've got absolutely nothing in their estate and you didn't get anything from their estate, then I think that's where it stops. But I would need to double check. And that's where you'd need to check with a lawyer. And mm-hmm. um, if there is money in the estate, those debts have to be paid first. Okay. So that's where people end up with a situation where often the house is the main asset. And then if there's debts, you have to work out how you're going to pay the debts because there's money in the house. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah, so you have to take money out of the house or sell the house, depending on on the amount and and the circumstances around it. Yeah, so debts go first and then specific gifts. So if there's specific gifts, they go next. And then what they call residue, um, which is the remainder of the estate. So sometimes there there isn't any specific gifts and it's just everything to my life partner. Mm. And it just all goes to the life partner. Um, but sometimes there's gifts to charity, gifts to godchildren and bits and bobs like that. Yeah. Okay, so so that's sort of the, the main crux of it. What happens with in terms of informing everyone else of everything? You've you've got six months, have you, to to inform I don't know, utility bills, um, phone company, like is, is that everyone is you've got six months to do that in? So the six month was in my head because some of the inheritance tax um Uh, So I kind of gave myself in my head six months, but things like memberships and utility bills and stuff like that, you know, I think that people sometimes find that they, you know, take quite a while to do them. But yes, you have to transfer everything over. And this is where there's that huge debate on like, how many death certificates do I get? Because you have to pay for all the death certificates. Um, And some people get advised, you need to go and get 15 death certificates. But actually, if you're clever about it, you don't necessarily because the lawyer only needs one because they can do a different form called a death certificate verification form is what used to be in my day. Um, And so they only need one and then they can send their own forms out to other people. Um, And then you can have maybe four or five so that you always hold one with you and you can send a couple out to, you know, um, yeah, BT, um water company um council tax all those sorts of things um yeah Yeah. interesting I I remember when um when Simon died actually that obviously we had his the the mortgage was in his name so that was paid off with his life insurance and then the house was transferred into my name but actually, you then have to register that with the land registry, don't you? Um, and I very nearly missed that one. I don't know what alerted me to, to doing it, but there, there's no, I couldn't find anything. I, I know it was six and a half years ago, but it's almost like you need a, a checklist of, of things to do because there's so much to do. Is is there any such thing? I don't know. Um, I I, I have a dream. So at the moment, my courses are all about your personal sad men. But I have a dream of doing stuff for the post-death sad men. Um, and a checklist, I think, is vital. Like, you know, I've got a 
checklist on my will course and I had a checklist on my personal sadmin course and stuff and I think that people do our brains love checklists don't they they love things that you can go through and you can tick off stuff um but I think the land registry often gets overlooked um especially if people do it themselves rather than going to a solicitor um hopefully a solicitor wouldn't overlook it and they do it um but um but yeah, if you've got it in joint names, all you have to do is send the death certificate and it's actually quite easy to the land registry. Um, but it's really important that the land registry is updated and it hasn't got a deceased person's name. Otherwise, at a very stressful time when you come to move, which is emotional anyway, because you're moving out of a house that you lived in with your deceased other half. And suddenly there's a paperwork nightmare because nobody updated the register and their name's still on it, um, which... Um, yeah, it's it's not uncommon. So we've I've had times in the past where I've I've almost had to do a bit of research on <laughs> working out. Like and I quite like that kind of thing. But but the easiest thing is to have a lovely checklist and be like, so will uh, well funeral the death death certificate, uh funeral, will, um, then bank accounts, investments. Um, property and some people have more than one property as well yeah and they hold them differently mm. so they don't necessarily hold them in the same same yeah businesses that's another whole can of worms god I mean that's huge isn't it when people own and, and run businesses for themselves you, you know and like <laughs> rounding all, all that up and it's it's also being aware of what needs doing and what people have got in mm. their name isn't it because you often don't know, do you? You don't know what what you know if they do run their own business. What's what's included in that? What does, what needs tying up? Does anyone else in the business know these things? Also in personal life, you know, bank accounts. Like I was I was talking about this in in my group yesterday, but I remember about oh, it was a few months after Simon died, and we 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 kind of rounded everything up. It, it was quite simple with Simon. He in his will, it was just all to me, and it it was. It was quite a simple process. Um, but I remember finding a card just randomly somewhere thinking, I don't think, I don't think we found this card before. I don't know what this is attached to. There was 20 grand in, in this account that I had just randomly kind of stumbled across. So I had no idea that he had, <laughs> he'd, he'd kind of kept it. It was his like secret little stash, I think, that I couldn't get my hands so on. So in the Royal Marines, they call that their slush fund and the wife. <laughs> The wife never knows about the slush fund. But you know, if I hadn't have stumbled across this card and, and questioned it, that would still, that'd be, do you know what I mean? Like that, and that must happen so much, mustn't it? It's like... And and if you do get into the realms of having to pay inheritance tax, that actually can make a significant difference. Because if you were over the threshold, 40% of your 20 grand actually is due to the revenue. And if you've missed your deadline, then potentially you're into interest and penalties. So it is really important that you know what assets people have, which is why I've done the your personal sadmin as the first course, because I think that if we I want to swear on my ass. You can swear. Um, if we sort our shit out, it makes life so much easier for our loved ones, like so much easier. Um, and, you know, if they know where all the bank accounts are, and with everything being so online now, it is incredibly difficult. But there are like my lost account. And so if people wanted to Google like my lost account, there is such a thing that you can Google to, excuse me, check um, to see if um, if there's like a a long lost national savings and investment bond or something that's um but but I remember my husband had like three premium bonds or something like that and they were absolutely historic on like tiny slips of paper um but it's really important to find everything it really is and you know a time in your life when you're not firing from all cylinders anyway are you you know you're not thinking straight I think you know to have that presented to you in a document of some sort this is what I've got this is where you'll find it would be so beneficial because you are just scraping around in the dark a lot of the time aren't you thinking what what do I do with all this stuff where is all this stuff and how do I make sure I've got all the stuff covered um it's it's a really stressful time so 
so you, you've kind of done the, the main bits and pieces around the, the house um, and, and what have you. What's next? Because I know people really struggle. People really struggle with the smaller things in life. I mean, the banks I know and, and utility companies, sometimes they have a designated bereavement line, don't they, that you can call and people that are trained to, trained, I use the term loosely, <laughs> to to deal with this though there there still seems to be a lot of incompetence within this area um and people find this very frustrating because you phone you you make a call you want to tell somebody your person has died but there just seems to be this chain of events that makes it really difficult and the timeline that this is done as well it's not like you can make a call Tell somebody that your your person has died and they wrap it all up for you. you. You know, you've got to chase them and they don't come back to you for weeks. And then they might disconnect the phone when you'd ask them not to disconnect the phone. Or do, do you see what I mean? There just seems to be a lack of, of flow and understanding within this area, which at a time when you're already very distressed isn't helpful, is it? It's, it's, I think it's a it's a huge problem for people. I think it is a really big problem and I think that I like my heart does slightly go out to all parties mm -hmm. because obviously I've got a lot of empathy for the bereaved and I know what it's like to be making those phone calls and it is really painful and not very pleasant at all but I've got a bit of insight on the other side and I one of the things I'm sure you've said in your groups loads but I passionately believe that often grief is love with no place to go so you've got all this emotion and you've got nowhere to park it and then someone tells you I'm sorry you're going to go on hold and suddenly I mean I will not forget talking about like yeah disproportionate after Simon died and it was even in that gap between him dying and the funeral and our dog was <laughs> bereaving the his master going as well and suddenly needed a repeat prescription from the vet and it wasn't even like it was something new it was something he'd already had from the vet and I phoned up and then they said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to see um, one of the vets. And I was it literally flipped me like I, I literally have no idea where the emotion came from. And I literally lost my shit. And I said, we've been at your veterinary practice for forever. My husband has just died. My dog has been on this drug for forever. All I'm asking you is for a repeat prescription. If the dog dies as well now, because he was quite old, I don't know what my kids are going to do. And I literally like lost my shit at this poor receptionist and she was like I'll see what I can do and then the highest up vet phoned me up in the practice apologized profusely for the inexperience said the I can't speak properly but the repeat prescription was ready for me to pick up and then I had to go in and collect it and I was just like oh <laughs> I'm so sorry. I totally lost my shit. And I know that I totally lost my shit. And I'm so, so, so sorry. But I had all this emotion. And the thought of the dog dying on top of the husband was just something I couldn't contemplate. <laughs> <laughs> And one of the things is he had these really bad legs, so I couldn't get him in and out of the car. So taking him in to see the vet really wasn't an option because it was really difficult to move him around. Um, but it is crazy because I think that, yes, there's not enough... Um, understanding because thankfully you don't know what it's like unless you've been through it and thankfully not everyone has been through it for which I'm quite grateful um, but on the other side it, it does make it really tricky because people just don't understand um, mm -hmm. no. and sometimes there are backstories that they just have no idea about like my dog was immobile and he was very old and I didn't want him dying as well do you know what I mean there was lots of backstory this poor receptionist had no idea <laughs> other than the fact that she had an irate widow. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You, you know, I think it, it's so true, isn't it, that the people on the other end of the phone, it's not often their fault, what, that they're following policies and procedures that are designed for certain situations, but they don't suit every situation. And sometimes these policies and procedures are just absolute nonsense. And it's frustrating for both parties, actually, because you as the griever are like, are you serious? Like, this is ridiculous. And then the person on the phone is like, I'm just trying to do my job and I don't know what else to do. Um, and it, it, it can feel like a no-win situation for all involved. But when you're in that as the, the grieving widow, you, you know, your empathy for the person on the phone often is zero. <laughs> 
and 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 they kind of get it and which is a, a bit rubbish and you come away feeling rubbish don't you and then you think oh I shouldn't have probably maybe I said that <laughs> I'm so sorry <laughs> yeah. yeah it does make it really hard interestingly though you'd kind of touched on this earlier wanted to pick up on it when you are the uh the, the beneficiary the the surviving partner of the person that's died is it solely your responsibility to inform all these people do you have to physically make those calls yourself and and declare the death of the person is is that is it your responsibility or is it yours and you can delegate it so this is one of the big myths is that um um is like that next of kin versus executor thing so who is the executor in the will is the person nominated to deal with all the administration so if you are the life partner but actually you're not an executor in theory you can go hands up you can do it but actually you may want control of it because you may want it to come into your name and to make sure that it goes into your name and it, you know where all the bank account details are or the gas details or whatever are um and um but often the life partner is an executor so they often end up doing it um but the person who is the executor in the will is the person who technically has the role um, and the piece of paper that evidences that is actually um, um, the piece of paper who actually evidences that is the um, grant of probate. So when you've done your inheritance tax forms, you send them off to the probate registry and then what you get back from them um, is this piece of paper called the grant of probate. Can you delegate those roles out so say you had to make the phone call you had to register the death with somebody and transfer it into your name could you get somebody to do that for you and then pass the information on to you or do you physically have to do it so people often get people to help them out with stuff um, okay and especially things like making phone calls and stuff but the problem that you will find is if you are trying to make a phone call and getting core information, they'll say, we need to speak to the executor. We need to see the grant of probate to evidence that we are speaking to the right person. So then you might be in a slightly tricky place. Yeah, yeah, makes it difficult. Yeah, okay, so th there are certain things that you could maybe delegate out, but if you want yeah. things transferred into your name, it's probably easier for you to do it yourself. And for GDPR, people will possibly want to speak mm. to the person who's got the authority. So that makes it hard. But, you know, it's fascinating what you were saying about some things being incredibly difficult. I think sometimes you can be surprised by how ridiculously easy some things can be. So Simon had a disability vehicle because he was really poorly at the end of his um, cancer treatment, but still absolutely adamant he was going to do everything he possibly could. Um, and, um, and that was a HP vehicle. And but it was the one that the kids loved and drove around in all the time and really enjoyed. And giving that back was ridiculously easy. I made a phone call. They told me when they were collecting it. Some chap kept, got driven up. He got out of the vehicle, swapped a few bits of paper with me and drove off with this car that had meant the world to me. And I was just like, so that's it. <laughs> that's like all that happens you just need to see the right bits of paper and I give you the keys and you take away and it was like oh my god make sure that the glove compartment's empty <laughs> like make sure I've taken everything that's ours out of it yeah. like but, but sometimes you can be really surprised that things are actually a little bit easier than you thought they were going to be too easy sometimes yeah, and then you make some silly mistakes, or at least I went through a phase of making some silly mistakes. And with the whole social media, oh my good grief, I made some clangers with the social media. And I think that's another whole thing. So my husband was massively into cycling. And obviously the lawyers don't care a dot about closing people's social media accounts. So I think that a lot of people probably, and actually I think my husband's Facebook account is still open. I don't think I've even activated the Facebook legacy manager thing yet six and a half years down the line but the Strava I loved it's like for those who don't know it's like an exercise Facebook where you log your runs and your bikes and but he did the entire route to Tour de France in the same time as the famous professional so he had an amazing Strava record 
And I knew that technology wasn't as good six years ago. It's come on so much as it is now. But even back then, I knew that for Facebook and Instagram, you could make these beautiful books. So I messaged Strava and said, you know, I really want to memorialize this. It's really important. Ironically, my elder daughter had just done a 30 mile bike ride and she just discovered daddy's Strava account and was going, oh, my God, his training ride was 30 miles. And I'm like, yes, I know. And that's your your big event. He was a little bit crazy on the cycling. But, you know, she just made that connection. And they said that, um, that in order to talk to me, they needed certain bits of paper. So I then sent the grant and then they wanted the death certificate and then they wanted my ID. And then I made them send them a message saying, have you got everything that you need? Um, I'm really keen to just memorialize this so I can keep it forever for my kids. And I got a message back saying we've deleted your account. And the whole thing had gone. And then I was like, can I complain? Can I talk to someone else? Have you got a big back server that you can get it from? Sorry, we purge our data as soon as it's deleted. Why did they do that? I don't know if it's the same now because that was six and a half years ago. But I literally, you know, when you feel like your stomach's fallen out of you, I was just like, all of those comments that his mates and one of his mates told me that there was a certain hill that I had the best time on. And he's like, freaking dead dies beating me on this hill. And like Simon was like the best on this like hill. And sometimes they would message me and say, oh, I did size run again. And it reminded me that they're all gone. All gone. Oh, they were like, have you got a Garmin? And I was like, yes, he has got Garmin. I've no idea how to use the Garmin. And it hasn't got any of this banter, any of these, like, you know, with social media, you've got all this chat. Yes. Yeah, hasn't got that. And I think sometimes people don't deal with the social media because they worry about that happening um, because it's a real thing. And I can understand that. I mean, I've never touched any of Simon's, uh, my Simon's social media. Um because I, I didn't really understand why I would, for starters. Um, and, and I quite, I just wanted to keep it open. And I've, I've never really diverted from that. I mean, it's, it's used less and less now, um, obviously. But, it you know, it's I know some people really like to, to, to do that. Um, but, you know, it, I, I never have. And I've always just left it. Um, I've never gone into it from his side, but just knowing it's there to, to tag him in posts and to, to look at and, and stuff, I think, for me. And, you know, like you say, for you to be able to do something special with all that information and then it's just gone. That just makes you feel sick, doesn't it? It's that disbelief. And I think that that's one of the myths about social media is that, um, you know, on the one hand, there's the people, I think our brains like completion, don't they? They like to see things to the end and it all being very neat and wrap it all up. And I think that sometimes people go on a mission to just tidy, sort, organise, done this, done that, right, now it's the social media, so let's memorialise this. Because if it's an inactive account, does that mean it's going to be deleted if it's an inactive account? And, you know, there's so much that's still being... And the social media guys are, are getting there, but I think they're still quite clunky with it all, if I'm honest. Um, um, and then at the other end, there's people who are just like, I don't want to touch it because actually I live my life in my phone and I kind of feel, and I don't know about anyone else, but even five, six years down the line, I used to still pick up my phone and expect to have a text message from Simon because he was in the forces and we lived so much of our life apart and 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 there was a part of him in my phone and so actually closing those down is is massively emotional it's not just like yeah let's tick another thing off the list it's huge it really 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 big it is it's absolutely massive I remember speaking to to Vodafone about Simon's phone I didn't I didn't want I didn't want it disconnected I was like I, I want I want it to keep going like just keep it going and and they did for about six months and then I woke up one morning and, and they just disconnected it having told me that they would you know keep me posted and all that kind of good stuff but I just thought okay maybe it's time and you know just find your way through it and I did but it's it this is the thing isn't it the emotion that doing these admin tasks is 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 so much bigger than just doing a task it it conjures up all sorts of thoughts and feelings and resentments and and sadness and I think you know when we are doing these these things i think it's really important that we wrap it in love for ourselves so that we are looking after our needs so you know instead of 
you, you know, punishing yourself to do, I've got to get all this done. Like, you know, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to go through, through all these tasks. You know, can you do something nice to, to, to get yourself into a, a you know, a, a, a relatively calm headspace? I say that tentatively because when you've just lost someone, that's, that's quite difficult. But, you know, so you're not going into it harried and, and, and overwhelmed. Um, and then maybe you do two or three tasks depending on what they are and what's involved and then afterwards you have something that's for you as well that that is a bit nourishing a bit nurturing that you just kind of go I'm going to tend to me now because that actually was really hard and acknowledging what it is that you're doing and how hard it is rather than it being a you know something you just tick off your to-do list because it's so much more than that. And it's fascinating. So in preparation for this, I know we both shared on our socials, like anything people would pass on or anything they wish they knew and stuff like that. And one of the things that really I think was amazing is um, or a couple of them, really. But one of them is is the whole like hitting um, uh, hitting the week like really hard on a Monday and thinking you've got to do all this stuff on a Monday um, and actually the advice this widow was given was Monday, what was it? Monday is your warm up. So write your list, get your head straight, work out what you want to do. And then Tuesday, you can get your shit done. But just give yourself a bit of breather to plan and to organize and to work out what's what. Um, so that you can take it step by step. And I think that step by step is something where having like a coach or something like that is amazing because they can go, whoa, I'm overwhelmed listening to you with all this. Let's just see what is the next thing that you have to do? Where are the priorities? And just really breaking it down so that you know the order of things and what you need to do. Because people people feel very alone, I think, don't they? But there is so much support out there if you're bold enough to reach for it. And I love the idea that someone else said um, that they, in that really raw early days, gave themselves no more than three admin tasks a day. And to be honest, I think one would have probably my max, but maybe one a week. Um, but, um, but you know, work out where your ability is and just set yourself. And, and then, like you say, celebrate the fact that you've done it because it's so hard. It's really, really, really hard. But um, so much easier if it's broken down and done with someone. You know, they say grief doesn't heal in isolation, don't they? And I really do believe that tricky things are made so much easier with support from people who get it. 100%. I think, you know, just having somebody on your side that that helps you feel a bit safer in a, in, a, in a very scary, vulnerable world that you've been thrown into is is absolutely vital. And I think as well, I I love about what you do, Emma, is that, yes, there are people out there that can help you, but often those people that we think are there to help us are the, the, the lawyers, the solicitors. And, and that can be quite daunting and incredibly expensive and... I personally found that I didn't really understand what my solicitor was saying to me half the time because there's like some kind of unknown language that I haven't been taught <laughs> being used. And when your brain isn't functioning at your normal level, which I've got to be honest, probably isn't great at the best of times. I, I just thought they were speaking to me in like fluent Russian at some point. You know, you're just like, what, what, what are you even saying? I don't understand the question, let alone the answer. And that can put you off. I mean, I was very fortunate. My, my financial advisor is a friend of Simon's and, and, you know, and he speaks English, <laughs> which is really helpful. And um, because all of that stuff just sends me into a bit of a, a, a tiz because I'm like, it's a world I don't understand. And I feel quite intimidated by it. So yes, the help's there, but how do we know what to look for? Because there's you, which is brilliant, but you're quite unique aren't you like is there another you in the uk no see so, so you are really unique and what you do is amazing but people wouldn't know to look for you because it's a bit like me with the widow coach people don't go i'm going to get myself a widow coach because it's not it's not a massive thing that people know exists yet so where where does one begin like in terms of looking for that support with somebody that can speak english 
I guess that people's first port of call is often the internet, isn't it? It's, you know, like I will never forget my husband when he was very, very sick. And he, we definitely had, I know that you shouldn't be sexist, but we definitely had boy jobs and girl jobs in our house without a shadow of a doubt. And so there were certain things that I am still utterly, utterly, utterly rubbish at. Um, And actually my kids are now way better than me, partly because of this solution. So he turned around to me and he said, do you want to know how I always know how to fix stuff? And I was like, yes. Oh my God. Yes. 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 And I was expecting this like nugget of gold dust. And he just turned around and he went, I Google it. And I was like, that's your legacy to me. I Google it. (laughs) But I think so often there is stuff out there, but then the problem with that is that gets you into overwhelmed territory because you fall down a scroll hole and you feel like everyone else knows it and everyone else gets it. And then you get into that tricky place. So, yeah, it is difficult. And this, you know, this is why we're we're here now having this conversation because you are there and and you are amazing. And and the information that you provide is absolutely remarkable. You you know, like I've learned so much. I want to come and do your, your wills course because I'm like, I need to sort my stuff out. I don't really know where to start because it was done after Simon died, which was so long ago. And but but you you know it's it's finding that isn't it and and getting that out there and and getting you out there really and and finding more people like you that can help but i i thoroughly ag- agree with you that we need help and we've got to get out there and find the the right support the right help for us um and ask for it and and take it i know it's not easy to do but don't expect yourself to do everything all by yourself because you don't need to and actually it's not a very healthy way of of approaching it all and I think you then are at risk of isolating yourself Mm -hmm. if you don't ask for help so one of my Mm -hmm. lovely widows who I really adore who follows my adore all my lovely people who follow me but um um she uh, again, apologies for the swear word. Um, but she said, when I said, what do you wish you'd known more about the death admin stuff? She said more about bloody cars, insurance tax, MOT, etc. And I think if you don't, if it's not your skill set, I mean, I still six and a half years later haven't set up the Sonos in our new house because I haven't got a Scooby how to do it so I've got all this lovely stuff sat in a box in the garage because I still haven't set it up because it's not my skill set and I think sometimes it's having that confidence to know ourselves Um, and and you know I say this to people and I I did a bit of a talk a little while ago about staying in your own lane and working out who you are. Um, But one of the kind of gifts, if I can call it a gift of being a widow for me, was really getting to know myself um, and working out, actually, it wasn't a new me. It was the me that I've always been that's, that's been kind of screaming to get out. And you know what? She's rubbish at doing some of this stuff. And she's just going to have to ask for help because it's just not her skill set. Um, and and having that confidence and there will always and people want to help you but they don't know how to help you and that's one of the biggest problems isn't it but if you go actually I'm rubbish at cars can you come around and just give me a crash course on what paperwork what I need to update how I how I do it how I make sure I renew my insurance every year you know all the stuff that he used to do she used to do that I can't do anymore um because you know you can do it it might feel overwhelming you can 100% do it but it's hell of a lot easier if you do own where you'd like a little bit of help I love that and I think you know, so something I'm always talking to my clients and they say, I'm rubbish at this and I can't do that. And I always say, put just put yet at the end of that sentence because you will know, you will figure it out. And, and the things you're going to learn on this journey are going to blow your mind because you're going to do things you never, ever thought you were capable of doing. You, you know, whether that's taking your car for an MOT, climbing up into the loft to get a box down, learning how to tow a caravan like I did, going on holiday on your own, um, driving on the motorway. Do, do you know, like all this stuff that scared the living daylights out of us and we kind of go I can't do that I and that's very permanent isn't it like I'm stupid I can't do it I don't know but actually if you just acknowledge that you don't 
it's just right here right now you don't know but you'll figure it out you'll find a way and ask people to show you and then you will know and then you will have that ability to do it and that's so empowering but we do need people to show us we need people to to help us and google's a great thing and youtube's an amazing thing and we can get so much information from us but you know, if you've got people around you, you, you know, some of my friends' husbands were, were just incredible in, in showing me all the, all the man jobs and, and how to do these these things around the house because I didn't have a clue. Sometimes as well, someone totally impartial can be mm. what you need who actually doesn't know you or your deceased loved one. Um, I um, shared on social media that like even though I moved house and I was saying to you in the pre-chat so I moved house and we'd had six houses in six years in the military so we were really minimalist until we bought our own house and then stuff started going up in the loft and then he got sick and anything I couldn't cope with went up in the loft and then all the kids clothes they grew out of went up in the loft and before I knew it the loft was having to have extra boards put down because there was so much stuff up there um, and then we moved house three years after he died on my own with two kids. And so what I said to the removals is anything I don't want to live with is going in the garage. And I woke up one day and suddenly realized I had a double garage that was full, like absolutely jam-packed full. So I got someone who's a declutter person to come in and help me. And in one day we revolutionized, but even then it was piecemeal. So that was like, what, two years ago, there was stuff I couldn't face getting rid of. And I suddenly woke up the other day and was like, my God, my garage is full again. Like, how does that happen? Like, am I the only one who this happens to? Probably, hopefully not. No. <laughs> um, and so she came back again for four hours and we had another go and there was still stuff of Simon's in there. But this time I was like, you know what? I'm ready to say goodbye. You know, I'm ready to say goodbye to this. Um, but also I think with their stuff, there's all that their clothes you know that is part of the post-death sadmen all all their hobby stuff bicycles and whatever they used to love doing tinkering with cars or whatever it is and you've got all their stuff and sometimes you don't even know what half of it is, is. like I mean I've got like about three toolboxes I'm like why have we got like three toolboxes but I think one is for the bikes one is for the house and goodness knows what the third one is for um but sometimes we just need someone else to come and help us. And sometimes we do need to realize that if we keep, I love this. So Jasmine, who helped me from Change Your Space, said, if you keep everything, nothing is special. And I like was like, that is such a beautiful way of just like almost Marie Kondo doing a kind of, you know, does this bring me joy? Is this the kind of piece that I want to keep? Um, am I going to make a beautiful cushion out of these items of clothing? Or can these go to a charity shop? Or actually, was it really expensive and I'll sell it on eBay? Um, but it's really hard, really hard. And I think people, unless they've been there, don't under underestimate what that's all about. Exactly. And I think that's such a, a, a lovely sort of nugget i think actually getting somebody who is impartial and neutral who doesn't particularly know you your life your 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 you know late partner to come in and help you be a little bit ruthless um but also in the recognition of what's bringing you joy what is special to you what would you like to keep that's going to allow you to hold on to some lovely memories or make something that you can treasure versus what you're just holding on to because it's too hard to say goodbye but as we were chatting in our in our pre-chat I think it's such a lovely idea to acknowledge maybe what you don't need to keep but give thanks to it and and say goodbye to it and acknowledge the the place it's had in your life in your person's life and that you've loved having it with you if it's a tie or a piece of jewelry or whatever it is a car you know a bike it, however big or small but thanking it for its time and and saying i'm ready now i'm ready to to allow you to go and and for me to create space for for the new that's going to come in but it is hard it's really hard and i think we don't need to rush those things like you say you're six and a half years into aren't you you know and uh, maybe a bit more than that now but giving yourself the time 
So you're ready to say goodbye to these things. You, you know, like my, my Simon um, went off on a bike ride and, and died suddenly from a heart attack. And I wasn't ready to have his bike home. And his friends that he was out cycling with kept his bike and kept it for a good couple of years because I was like, I don't I don't want that bike here. I, I don't want that. But eventually I was like, do you know, I think I'm ready. And I, I bought the bike back. And then I ended up giving it to a friend that was doing a big charity bike ride. And I thought... It's better that it's used and put to good use. And I'm ready now. I've, I've, I've kind of found my my place with it. But you don't have to rush it. You, you know, some people are ready to have a massive sort out very early on and get rid of it all. And that's fine. But you don't have to do it that way. And you can take time with these things because you will get there, don't you? you? This is, I think, the interesting thing. You do get to a point where you go, OK, I think I've got too much stuff. I'm ready now. A hundred percent. And you know, what came to mind to me when you were saying that is I actually was a bull in a china shop with Simon's clothes in our bedroom. Um, And it had been a bit of a longstanding, probably a little bit inappropriate joke between us that when he wasn't here anymore, I could have his space in the cupboards and my clothes could spread out to his drawers and that would be wonderful. And initially I couldn't bear it. And then it was only a matter of months later that the gorgeous hospice nurse came and I said, I need his stuff out of the bedroom. I don't mind having him everywhere else, but there was something in me. I just, I needed it out of the bedroom. And um, and and I, I took all this stuff and we bagged it up and we were a meticulous. We labeled up, you know, we could make nice bunny rabbits out of these shirts and we labeled up what was in them. And then we like this lot is really ought to go to the charity shop. I mean, like it's almost got holes in it. So, you know, it's had a lovely life. I love you. Thank you. You can go on and have a lovely life elsewhere. And then there was like, I think I had six, maybe seven bags, bin bags ready for the charity shop. And First of all, they were in the kitchen and the dog wouldn't go near them. And that like got my heart rate going a bit funny. The dog just didn't want to go near them. And then I put them in the boot of the car and drove around with them for, I kid you not, two days just driving around because I couldn't bring myself to go. And then I parked up one evening once the kids had gone to bed, I went back out to the car and I was like, I can't get rid of these. And I put them up in the loft. I was like, I'm not ready for this yet. And I put them in the loft and they probably stayed there for another two and a half years Mm. until I finally found the time and the space. So they'd moved from where I couldn't cope with them, but they hadn't gone from my life because I wasn't ready for that either. So I just found them an intermediary space in the loft um but that was before the new house because they wouldn't go in the loft here <laughs> I, no, nothing's in the loft and i think that's that's a a, a good point you, you know and i i say this to people you know sometimes we you know maybe you'll have one slippers or shoes are by the front door or their toothbrushes in the toothpot by the sink yeah. and it gets you know there, there's a there's a time where you know, initially you don't want it moved. You want it left exactly there because it's a reminder that they lived and it feels a bit disrespectful. But then something shifts and it starts to become a trigger and it starts to become a discomfort. And every time you see it, it brings you pain and you think, is it time to move it? What do I do? I'm not ready to, to put it away or get rid of it. And I always say, just just put it in a drawer or a cupboard or in a bag and, and just move it from that place to another place and see how that feels. Because at least then you can put it back if it's even worse. Um, but if not, it just gives you that time to adjust. And then once you've moved it to that place, you get used to not seeing it every day, that, that the attachment to it is, is, is slightly less. Um, and I think you start to recognise that that's not the thing that connects you to your person, actually. It's, it's so much bigger than that, but we need time to understand these things. And, and then eventually we're able to let these things go and, and, and say goodbye and thank you to them and, and send them off to wherever we're going to send them off to. But it's having that, that patience, I think, within ourselves, which is hard. It's really hard. Emma, this... Well, I think the other thing is uh, just kindness. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind to ourselves to move them if they're triggering us, but not get rid of them if we're not ready to get rid of them. You know? It's just... Kindness is at the heart of it all, isn't it? You, you know, really looking after our, our own needs and listening to what our, our body is is telling us, what our mind is telling us, rather than thinking of all the things that we should be doing. Um, because that's just, there are no shoulds and that's not a good place for us to go to. But this has been an amazing conversation and I loved every minute of it and I could sit here and talk to you for so much longer, uh, but we've both got to go and get kids from school. <laughs> 
So Sorry, we were thinking was my daughter saying set a reminder because she knows I'm scatty. Set a reminder for Alexa to remember to come and collect Can we get me? apologies about don't, don't worry, my phone's been going off as well. But you're coming to pick me up, Mum. This is <laughs> this is our life, isn't it? This is us trying to to kind of help everyone else be mum. <laughs> So it's a juggling act. It's okay. I'm with you. <laughs> um, so thank you for your time. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic. I'll obviously put links so that you can get in touch with Emma if if you'd like to in in the show notes here. Um, and we will follow this up with a, another episode about our own sadmin, where we can talk more about preparing for for our own departure from this earth with with wills and and what have you, which is going to be amazing as well. So Emma, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. It's so appreciated. You're amazing. Thank you so much for listening to The Widow Podcast with me, Karen Sutton. If you would like to be part of a supportive community of people who understand your grief, come and join my free Facebook group, Widowed and Rising. And make sure you tune in to the next episode of The Widow Podcast. Podcast.